G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good day, everyone. Welcome to Footyology, the summer season, uh, episode two of our, um, not off-Broadway, but off-football season podcast, bringing you the latest news and views from the football world, other sport, any news as a matter of fact, plus a series of uh, often random and scattered insights into various things that caught the eye and uh, ear and uh, mouth when it comes to food of myself and uh, my very accomplished co-host, as I say, a very good afternoon in this case, late afternoon, to Mark Fine. How are you, Finey? I'm well. How are you? Look, not only am I well, I am so ready for warm weather, sunny weather. Got a bit of a taste of it today. Oh, you reckon? What did it get up to? Oh, no, it wasn't that warm, I'm saying, but, but it was sunny. 23 degrees, maybe. Mm, mm. Bring it on, baby. Bring it on. I, I reckon they're get, I reckon summer is getting later and hotter. Well, I don't think there's much doubt they'll be getting hotter, but I reckon summer is later now. Look, I, I guess in light of what's happening in New South Wales and Queensland, asking for hot weather and saying that it can't come quick enough might be a little bit trite because of course they would love nothing more than a break in the weather and some rain and cooler conditions but down here in Victoria I'm ready for warmer weather. Our thoughts are with everyone affected by the bushfires of course but don't mention climate change finally whatever you do don't mention climate change because we're not allowed to talk about that at this time. Why not? Oh well apparently according to all the politicians we need to leave it for a more sensitive time and uh, of course Barnaby Joyce came out during the week and was very sensitive about the couple of people who were actually killed by bushfires but you'd expect no less from Barnaby. Let's not politicise it but I'll say this that <laughs> you just did the same thing. Climate change is a fact. Well is it? Ask Andrew Bolt. I believe it is a fact but no well global warming has he now claimed that climate change doesn't exist because it, it, it is a fact but is it cyclical is it something that, that has happened before on this planet does do the seasons always change and vary well it's just been a deputation of uh something like eleven thousand scientists who uh all agree that uh global warming is in fact man-made global warming is in fact happening anyway we're not going to get don't worry if you're apolitical you're going here's Connolly going off on another of his lefty rants we won't do it i'll tell you what we will do though finey We'll talk about a very important subject right now, hamburgers. There's no change. No burger change at Andrews. 80 years. Celebrated this year an 80th birthday. And as long as I've known it, considered the standard by which other burger places need to apply themselves. It really is the standard. So the, you, gold, the gold standard, the you, diamond standard. You can assure me that, you know, like 50 years from now when we're 100-odd and we're uh, all bunkered down in our uh, air-conditioned bunkers because it's about 60 degrees outside, Andrew's hamburgers will still be rising to the culinary challenge. 
I can't guarantee 60 years, but I can guarantee next week, the week after, and the week after that, that you will get those beautiful buns, that meaty burger, fresh tomatoes, crisp lettuce, and dead horse. And uh, where would I find... That's tomato sauce where for people, I, people who don't know. Where would I find such sustenance? Oh, right in the heart of Albert Park. And the address Bridport Street. 144 Bridport Street. Bridport Did you Street? forget the number then? No, 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 oh, I knew okay. it. I just feel that you get Dramatic to... Dramatic pause. You get to Albert Park or Bridport Street, all just... Your all roads lead to Andrews. Well, your olfactory nerve will, will lead you there. Well, I'll tell you, all roads in Albert Park lead to Andrews, and the other roads lead to uh, some of Nick Spartel's display homes. Yeah, well, he's got builds at the moment. You would be hard-pressed to write, drive around that inner-city area of South Melbourne, Little Park, Apple Park, Port Melbourne, and not see a Hardwick Spartel sign up indicating that what's going on there is a top-class build. And Great in, builders. And indeed, as we speak, you are wearing a Nick Spartel's and Hardwick Bilco T-shirt. I could be, I could be that, that board out the front. You could, and uh, in climate change, you'd be even hotter because it's black. Well... I thought black T-shirts were only for, like, rock bands and stuff. No. In fact, it was uh, on Friday. It was Oz Music T-shirt day, finally. So I whipped out one of my five Mark of Cain T-shirts and posed for a pic and put it on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, all those posts, of course, supporting the Australian music industry. But uh, Are you one of those guys that, like, when a band comes on that's sort of not mainstream but, but has a good following mm-hmm. and they play – the one or two songs that everybody knows, mm. you just sit there, stand there impassionately, and then they play the B side, just the absolute hardcore fans only know this one. Yeah, yeah, su- do- Substance Street, <laughs> yeah, Substance Street. I do tend to prefer the album tracks, and uh, I do have a theory that singles are often, yeah, the lesser product from most fans, but it's not... Uh, I mean, that is an elitism. I know, but I, it's not a cultivated thing, it's just how I feel about it. But you know that dynamic, that elitism. I do know that dynamic. The upfront people at a rock band yeah. that, 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 you know, absolutely cluck their tongues and, yeah, and yeah. scoff when everybody goes berserk at the one song that got some airplay. Yeah. Oh, duh. <laughs> and they sing along to songs that, honestly... Yeah, I'm one of those elites. I'm one of those yeah. inner-city latte-sipping elites that Barnaby Joyce was talking about. Anyway, enough crap. We've got plenty more crap to get through. <laughs> uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's get straight into it. On Footyology, Newsfeed. Okay, we've got um, some uh, deep cuts, their album tracks. Uh, I wanted to talk about some deep cuts in news terms, finally. One of which, uh, I thought this is a terrific story in the Herald Sun the other day by uh, Michael Warner. And uh, very good journo, Mick. We like Mick, don't we? And, uh, yeah, we do. And... Um, it uh, again. This is a second or third time this has happened. There's been a really good story on this controversial subject, but it, no one ever seems to pick it up and run with it. And you get the feeling, oh, it's all just a bit too hard. And I'm speaking about the topic of concussion in football. And he had an interview with former Melbourne player Sean Smith, who took the mark of the century up at the Gabba in 1995. And of all the concussion stories I've read, or Johnny Barnes's one was pretty sad, but this was really sad. I, I had no idea that Sean Smith's lot was this bad. And when I say his lot was this bad, um, 
he's actually in a psychiatric facility at the moment and has been for some time. Um, he had a suicide attempt. Um, he has uh, lesions on the brain from a, um, an estimated 12 to 14 concussions during his um, AFL, VFL, AFL career. Um, he's applied for a disability pension. He suffers depression, anxiety, memory loss, uh, mood instability. Um, and he basically said that, you know, he thinks now that uh, it wasn't worth it. You know, as much as he loved playing league footy and being part of it all, it, it wasn't worth what it's cost him in later life. And we've been saying for several years now, this will be a big story. Um, and it's going to take some time. But you can see the the car crash ahead, I think, because there's a, a lawyer, Adelaide lawyer, um, Greg Griffin, who is uh, sort of marshalling resources for an attempted federal court um, damages action against the AFL. And John Barnes is officially part of that now, and as is Sean Smith. Uh, there's a number of other players who have talked about the symptoms of concussion during their careers. You know, Greg Williams is one. Uh, who else? Dean Kemp, uh, John Platten's talked about it. Um, this is a major issue. And w- one thing in this story that really disturbed me, and it was a quote from Greg Griffin, he was saying that uh, not only have um, several clubs been less than helpful in obtaining information about these former players, but according to him, he claims that some clubs have actually destroyed their medical records of former players. And is that incompetence or is that a, a sinister attempt to destroy evidence that may come back to bite them with former players? But uh, a really, really sad story, this. And for the big picture, I think a really important story that isn't going to go away anytime soon. Yeah, I actually saw Sean Smith on, I'm not sure if it was the 7.30 report or a dedicated program on the ABC that spoke about concussion in sport. He appeared with John Barnes. The rugby league representatives were even more dramatic, you know, very, very, not only affected long-term by the concussion that suffered during rugby league, but basically a life lost, really. Very sad stories. And rugby as well, rugby union. The oh, I can't remember his name. Peter Everett's original manager, the lawyer manager. Uh, not not Robert Hessian, is it? No, the, but sorry, I think it was Peter Everett. But you know the the um, short, controversial man with the mustache, player manager and lawyer type. Peter Jess, correct. Okay, has, yeah, Peter Jess has been, been at the on this, of this. Has yeah. been on about this and on this case for years now. And said that it will eventually have have its time in court, and there'll be a hefty price to pay. The good news is that there are protocols now in place. We've seen the not retirement, but certainly semi-retirement of McCartan, that indicates now that this is being taken seriously by club, by league, and by player. Sadly for Sean Smith, it comes a bit late. Interestingly, I wonder what Sean St- his son plays. Of course, mm. Tim. It, it's yep at Melbourne. How does he feel about that? 
uh, his son playing or yeah. has his yeah, son? Yeah. For, oh, yeah. well, I think he'd be quite anxious about it. Probably. Yeah, that's right. Well, he'd be, like you say, I mean, the protocols are a lot better now, so he'd probably be comforted by that. But he did say, you know, you're still seeing people. In fact, he was talking about, um, do you call them sub-concussions? But, you know, incidents where he got heavy knocks and, and wasn't actually knocked unconscious but was very groggy, uh, was able to walk from the field, but then returned. You know, we're still seeing them, I guess. But, I mean, the doctors say it's a very hard thing to diagnose. And we saw with the you know, this whole situation come up with the NFL in America. Um, there's a lot of disagreement even, even between medical people about diagnosis and the dangers. And uh, That's right. Even, even on this program, they had experts in the field of not just concussion, they had neurosurgeons and other medical experts and there is not a single there is not a unified voice here agreeing or, or accepting full responsibility for the sport particularly as being the root cause of all of these concussions whether there was genetic predisposition etc mm. etc et so it's murky but it has to be it's it's conclusive now that there is an ongoing issue and one being better handled at the moment. So that is the good news. Can you foresee a day where the AFL makes everyone play in a helmet? Again, that has not universally been accepted as a better way of handling the situation, that a helmet does not necessarily prevent concussions. And in some, there are some studies that lend credence to the fact that it might even add to the problem. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Remembering that NFL players who are now dead or suffering early, early dementia or wore helmets. Oh, and speaking of which, did you see that footage? I'm not a big American sports fan, but did you see that footage from the NFL during the week? It was the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh no, Steelers. Yep. There was a huge fight. It was like it was one of the biggest fights I've seen in a gridiron game. And the uh, Steelers, uh, sorry, the Browns player ripped off the helmet of the Steelers guy and belted him over the head with it. Like, really hard. That's a, that's a serious criminal offence, I would have thought. Well, yeah, he's, I think he's he was looking at a fair sort of suspension for it. What Do you think um, the public sympathies are with these former players? Because, oh, they must be. Well, I would have thought so, but I've got to say, and, and qualify here, this was Herald Sun Reader's comments, and they are just some of the lowest intellects in the world. Oh, hang on, I bought the Herald Sun today. No, well, I've read the Herald Sun too, but I'm saying that people that tend to comment on their stories, you wouldn't believe some of it. But I, I read the Sean Smith story and then I looked at the comments and there were several saying, oh, well, you know, he was well paid to play AFL footy. Yeah, that's, that's, that doesn't help you now. <laughs> it's like that line in Flying High. They paid, the, they, they paid the money, they bought the tickets. I say, let them crash. <laughs> I mean, there's a bit of that about it. <laughs> I... <laughs> It's it's like saying, oh, that bloke was paid very good money to remove asbestos. Yeah. You know, why is he complaining now? Well, he's not. He's dead. Well, I think that's what Julie Bishop said when she was representing the <laughs> company she was being, uh, that was being sued. There is an elephant in the corner of the room here that really I don't think has been addressed at all. And it, in the end, it has to be discussed. What's that? Look, in the NFL, the one saving grace for America is that NFL or the sport of what we call they call football, we call gridiron, is really only played at a professional and semi-professional level. Mm. There are not thousands of leagues out there of people playing gridiron. Yeah, but we have thousands of footballers more now with girls playing. I mean, 
thousands of teams yeah. playing this game, and they play it hard. And just because you don't have the ability of an AFL player does not mean that you are not subject to concussion. Mm. And unfortunately, the protocols, whilst improved at club land at local level, are nowhere near as good as at AFL level. So even today it's not perfect, but how about all the backlog of previous players? I I personally know of a person who played in the Eastern Football League and the Mountain Valley Football League Mm. who has ongoing problems because of concussion. And I'm talking about serious problems, migraines, memory loss, and, according to him, personality change with loss of temper that is almost impossible for his family to bear. Mm. And that's just one person I know. And they have no recourse? None, no, they're just living life. They, Where do they go? There's no, there's, there's really no pathway for that person, that individual, to follow to get even treatment even even to be heard mm. it's simply something he lives with I, I just find it interesting i mean you don't want to see conspiracy at every turn but i find it interesting that you know the afl um yes it's improved the protocols and whatever but we hear a lot you know injury reports and they document you know soft tissue injuries declined or increased or whatever and we talk about protecting players um the difficulties on hard surfaces and eddie had uh, sorry, what's it called now? Marvel had problems with the surface there, stress fractures, blah, blah, blah. But they don't seem to want to talk a lot about the concussion issue. And that's, again, getting back to what Greg Griffin says, and I can't see why he'd be telling porkies about it. I mean, if the, if the clubs are actively uh, destroying information which could help shed light on this stuff, I mean, that is something surely that will be the subject of uh, a few... Phone calls and emails, I would have thought, during the week, if, yeah. that's, if that's the case. Of course it would be. But, look, it's a serious business. Um, not uh, You haven't heard the end of this by a long shot because I think you're going to hear more and more former players coming out and, and talking about this stuff. And when this action, and it's been a couple of years in the making, uh, if and when it does get to federal court, well, you know, look out. I mean, the, the monetary uh, cost on the part of the game of football could be absolutely immense. Now... Another big picture story I wanted to talk about, different sport, but similarly troubling, and uh, that was the news this week, of course, that Will Pekovsky uh, had made himself unavailable for the Australian team when it looked, again, like he was on the verge of getting a test cap, um, now making three players in the Victorian side, Pekovsky, Nick Maddinson and Glenn Maxwell, who are all on mental health leave at the moment, and again... Um, not pointing the finger here, but you know, but cricket authorities very quick to say, "Oh, it's not a crisis of mental health or whatever." But I saw Peter Siddle interviewed about this, and um, basically, sort of echoing what I thought has to be a major cause here, and it's the scheduling of the game. It is a game basically now played uh, twelve months a year, and these guys get absolutely no downtime. I mean, people talk to me about the old days when you went on an Ashes tour and it was six months long and they couldn't have their partners there. But but those guys also, you know, 30, 40 years ago, were getting sizable off-seasons in which to recharge their batteries. That just doesn't happen now, particularly with three different formats of the game. Did you hear Virat Kohli speak about Glenn Maxwell? His response was fantastic. And he said that he has, in certain times in his career, been similarly 
struck down. It's amazing. Virat Kohli talking mm. about being overcome with doubt and anxiety and wishing that he wasn't playing in a game of cricket. Now, I'm not being silly here. I, I played a lot of cricket. You'll see that the players afflicted here are all batsmen. Marcus Truscothic, a batsman. Virat Kohli, a batsman. Uh, Jonathan Trott had issues. Yep. Now, these are people for whom their whole life really revolves around, especially Maddinson and Maxwell, in the in the sort of um, prime of their test-playing careers. And everything relies on their success as a cricketer. Mm. They've, they've put all their eggs in that basket. Cricket's a unique sport, I find, and I always found playing it as a batsman, one chance. Yeah. And it plays on you. It plays on your mind when you're not having a good run. Mm. Baseballers, they can, you know, three strikes are out, they're back in eight batters' time. Yeah. Golfers miss hit a ball. Bowlers bowl a rank delivery. They can, you know, come back. A tone. But it can really play on your mind if cricket means everything to you. Yeah. A bad run of outs. Mm. And it can have a terrible effect on you. I can't think of another profession where the margins between success and failure, earning, not earning, mm. are so finely tipped, finely well, to, balanced. To use a professional analogy, one mistake and you're sacked. Yeah. You right. know, in a regular workplace, you get the chance to make more than one mistake. No, I think that's a really good point. And, and it's inter- I hadn't actually thought about that, the fact that they all tend to be batsmen. Um, you know, another factor for me has to be, and it's easy to say this, but social media, the, the sort of flack that these guys cop now, they, no one was privy to this 30 or 40 years ago. And yes, they can avoid it. To a point, but I reckon it always sort of filters back. Um, and it's the fact that just knowing that it's definitely there, no matter how good you are, there'll always be someone on there ready to bag the crap out of you. And even the mainstream media, the level of scrutiny now yep. is more intense than ever. Yep. Scheduling, though, for me, is is still the number one. I mean, these guys just do not have downtime. We talked last week, or I ranted last week, about our domestic schedule this summer. You know, we've got guys, you know, going around the country and then buggering off to India and then coming back and, oh, sorry, India and then South Africa, um, the, the amount of meaningless cricket too, you know, cricket that for all intents and purposes doesn't bloody mean anything. Too many 50-over games, too many meaningless T20 games. Um, unfortunately, T20 is the cash cow, so there's going to be more of them in the future, not less. And another reason that I think cricket as a sport really has its challenges at the moment, but this is the latest, I guess, um, uh, spot fire that comes off the back of that bigger challenge about how, you know, what other sport in the world attempts to play three different formats? You can't squeeze them all in. And in an attempt to squeeze them all in and, of course, accommodate T20 whilst retaining the symbolically important test arena, the calendar is just too full of crap. Yeah, look, I, th- I think that one-day cricket and T20, as you say, they are earners. But what they are doing is they are taking cricketers around the world, away from home, sometimes not in a great mental state, but they're having to pack their bags, get on the plane and go and earn the money. You're right, they're playing in far-flung places, irrelevant, quick cricket. But these guys travails seem to centre around test cricket, which is still the most meaningful and important thing to them. 
Well, not Nick Mandelson, because oh, well, we well, played start- three tests. But it started. That's yeah, where no, it all started. That's true. That is true. So where do you see this going? I mean, obviously, the, the cricket authorities aren't going to, well, you'd hope they're not going to turn a blind eye to it. But what do they actually do knowing that the imperative to cram the um, the calendar as, as chock full of fixtures as it can is, is going to remain? Well, they just have to be supportive, and they are now. Thankfully, again, much like the concussion issue, mental health, depression, anxiety is as real as stress, back stress fractures. Remember there was a time people said, oh, Dentistle is not injured. Come mm. on, get up there and bowl. Mm. People thought that was a, a, a an imagined um, feigned injury. So it's as real now as guarding for bowlers not to get back injuries. And I'm not talking about batsmen. I'm talking about all cricketers need to be they need to be respected in their state of well-being. And all sports people, in fact, all employees need to be heard when they say they need a break or to step away. Interesting hypothetical. If today's standards about mental health and the the uh, reduction of the taboo around the you know discussing it and the um, the reduction of the stigma attached to people suffering mental health issues. If if those standards had have applied in the nineteen seventies and eighties, do you think we would have seen people taking break with oh, mental yeah. health issues then? Absolutely. I'm not going to name players that I would imagine might have been under stress through playing Test cricket or through trying to play Test cricket. Well, I, well, I'll name one after having read the book, and it's a fantastic book to uh, Golden Boy about Kim Hughes. Well, of course. But, I mean, his career was effectively destroyed by the <clears throat> petty jealousy of, of his teammates. And, in fact, and, you know, I, I sort of, you knew all this anyway, but just actually seeing it documented and whatever, that whole period from World Series cricket, so from, you know, 77 right through to when the Rebels went to South Africa in the mid-'80s, those 10 years... Basically, anyone who played for Australia in those 10 years was, wasn't was untouched by that horrible atmosphere that permeated Australian yeah. cricket. Yeah. Um, look, we know now, sadly, somebody who played one test for Australia, Paul Hibbert, yeah. uh, suffered mental health issues and sadly is no longer with us. I'm... I thought he died through natural... No, causes. he did. He did. Oh, he did yeah. But no, he's not, I'm saying he's sadly yeah, no yeah. longer with us. Yeah. But he had his battles... Ian Callan had battles, mm. and they was just not they were not monitored, met, or dealt with by cricket at the time because it was basically suck it up, princess. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's uh, again. I mean, we've we've talked at length about these two stories, but they are they are big issues that I don't think are going to go away, and you're going to be hearing more about them very very quickly because uh, we are footyology. Couple of little footy. Tidbits. So Jack Martin has put himself in the pre-season draft asking $1 million over five years, but heavily front-ended. So going to be uh, pulling in a million bucks the first two years, averaging out about 600 a year. Yeah, so how much, over five years at $3 million, is it? Or? Uh, $3 million over yep. five years. Sorry, yep. I thought I said that. But yep. yeah, it works out about 600 a yep. year all up. But a um, bit of a hefty price tag for a guy who still really hasn't proven himself. Couldn't make Gold Coast's team every week in 2019, I would have thought that doesn't get you a million dollars. So that shouldn't get you a million lira. Well, Carlton, very interested. Um, and the other story too, and uh, another Indigenous player, um, 
I was about to call him Jermaine Jackson, Jermaine Jones, uh, who only played, I think, seven games over three years for the Cats. Uh, he's been delisted, but North Melbourne and Carlton again supposedly interested in him. So, um, and, the, and there's some interest in your mate, Mitch Brown. Yeah, well, good to see too. I hope uh, Melbourne, yeah, apparently interested in Mitch, so I yeah. hope he bobs up somewhere at least. But I was wondering, having read Conrad Marshall's excellent um, book, Stronger and Bolder, and offend, and uh, if you miss that and miss Footyology's review of the book, it's still up there, of course. Uh, but Conrad Marshall had a great piece in Good Weekend yesterday from the book, but I think he added a bit to it, uh, on Marlon Pickett. And um, incredible story, mm. you know, time in jail and, um, you know, four kids by the time he's in his early 20s. Um, an amazing story about the obstacles, social and cultural obstacles he's had to overcome. I really, having read that and seeing news like this, I'm wondering and really hoping whether clubs might look at the examples of first Sydney stack and now Marlon Pickett and the tremendous culture Richmond has set up to deal with players who might have challenges yep. in that lifestyle space, uh, they might be a bit more uh, inclined to take what are perceived as calculated gambles on players whose backgrounds aren't lily white. I really hope so. Well, it's a sign of a strong club, a successful club, and Richmond are both of those at the moment. Just one thing, I don't know whether you caught this, there was a great article on Australian Rules Football in the New York Times last weekend. I did not see that. Brilliant article. I'd advise all of our listeners to try and hunt it down. It was. It followed, and it was done by an American journalist, it followed a team from Yindamu uh, taking on Lamangju in a football carnival. Of course, they are two very remote indigenous, tribal indigenous uh, settlements. Whereabouts? In the Northern Territory. Non-territory? Yeah. I, I, I think it's Yundamu was where uh, Liam Jura came from. Okay. And Zephaniah Skinner oh, is yeah. from one of those two. Yeah. But it tells the story of how they get in the bus. They get stopped by the police after a kilometre. Nobody on the bus has a driver's licence. Including the driver. Including the driver. Mm. The Problem. copper, a new copper in town, doesn't know the way of the world says you're not advancing. They hail down one of the fans who's heading to the game. This is seven hours away, by the way, the game, 700 k's away, and he agrees to, he's got a licence, he'll drive the car, uh, the bus. They go 500 <laughs> metres, he gets back in his car, and the original driver takes over again. <laughs> but it's a great story about the footy, about the social element, and... In the New York Times, a beautiful piece on Aussie rules. Now, very quickly, you, you wanted to mention the ABC too. Very sad. I think all of us have listened to the Olympic Games coverage on ABC radio. In the middle of the night, in the car, somewhere. Some of my gold medal memories are definitely on radio, no question. From Dean Lucan to Glynis Nunn. I, I just remember so many times hearing it on radio. The great George Grilliusix at the boxing, late great. Well, no longer, sadly. 1952 was their first coverage. Mm. But for financial reasons, and look, it costs a million dollars, and I don't think that's exorbitant. They can't find in their budget a million dollars, and there'll be no ABC radio coverage. They're also citing different media being used to by people to consume the Olympics, but I still think radio is important. And a huge kudos, a huge dip of the lid to Karen Tai, 
the wonderful host of Grandstand, who today spoke passionately against her employer, the ABC, at what she feels is a very wrong decision. But, I mean, this is what happens, though, when governments continually cut the budget to the ABC. We have this ridiculous situation in this country where... um, well, governments of both political persuasions, to be honest, get caught up in futile arguments about alleged ABC bias, political bias. And yet every time the public is polled about most trusted media organisations, the ABC is head and shoulders above everyone else's number one. I mean, you have to... If a, if a, a government can't keep a government-run media organisation going and providing information to its citizens, and we all regularly see in times of emergencies how... Useful, the ABC is. Well, they are first first port of call for bushfire alerts and flood alerts. And I, I guess it's you know, not just those things, but domestic sort of programming they're going to concentrate on. But yeah, it's it's a huge shame, and um, you know, it's to me, it's just a sign of the further emasculation of the government broadcaster for not budgetary purposes, but political purposes, and it's wrong. Well, this was. Cited the site. The reason cited here a week, a million dollars doesn't. That doesn't resonate, and other forms of media doesn't resonate because there are times you know, people radio's strong. People can't watch TV in the car, and I think it's a very poor decision. Yeah, no, it was certainly a, a sad moment for Australian sport. All right, that's enough for uh, newsfeed this week. Uh, time to uh, talk about life matters. Life Hacks, Building a Better World. All right, some uh, good reaction to this segment last week. We don't know quite where it's going to head, but just whatever's been uh, grinding our gears or something we're enthusiastic about or uh, just perhaps even lodged in our subconscious and now we're going to sort of shake it loose and set it free. Um, I'm going to give you the new ball on this occasion, Mark. What have you got for us? Do you know what IDB is, mate? Uh, I was thinking of that internet movie database. Oh, it's got an M in it, hasn't it? That's IDMB. IDB is the I did bad? Almost. It's in daddy's business. It's the three letters that follow you. You're not an MD, you're an IDB. Is that actually an official acronym? No, but it's it's a slur. It's bad enough if you're the... 27-year-old failed professional golfer who played off scratch at Keysborough and drained your parents' bank balance trying to chase a US tour card or a European tour card and missing out by a million miles. You come back and you've got to go into the family business because you haven't studied and it's a men- it's a local menswear shop on the shopping strip and you see this depressed-looking... Stacks th- of slacks. Yeah, you see this depressed-looking 30-year-old selling cardigans to crotchety 85-year-olds who want, you know... I don't want three buttons, not two. Life ruined. Well, that that might be bad. But I think it, going into accounting would fill me with trepidation. Yeah, if you're forced into it. But imagine if you're the son of somebody and the job is dangerous and something that you clearly don't want to do. Uh, I, well, hang on. Let me think about that. Um, no, you won't get it. Okay. That, I feel, is a lot of Robert Irwin. You see, there's a new program called Crikey, It's the Irwins. Ah, yeah, okay. Yep. And there's an ad running on Fox at the moment for it. Fox Young Tell, uh, Bindi and Robert, Robert and yeah. the mother Terry. In the ad, you only need to see the ad to see that this kid is not Steve Irwin. Okay. When he jumps on a crocodile, you know, Steve Irwin used to jump on these crocodiles. They've got this baby juvenile crocodile tethered 
no word of a lie, Robert and four other assistants jump on the back of this juvenile crocodile and uh, with a wavering voice, he goes, isn't she beautiful? There's another scene with him with a giant python around his neck and the look of fear on his face is the... (laughs) Well, if you haven't seen it, it's the look of fear you'd have if you had a giant python around your neck. Well, He, He simply doesn't... He's not comfortable. He doesn't want to be there. Well, I think all... Jokes aside, it's I mean, when you, well, when you, well, when you remember how his poor dad passed away, understandably so. So you think episode eleven in season one, swimming with the manta rays, where they made Robert swim with manta Is that rays, hundred percent. Right? You think that might have been a bit off colour? Well, geez. he could have had some trauma given his father got killed by a stingray. I don't think they're taking any taking that into account. The boy might have some residual, um, you know. Some residual fears and and ongoing issues because his father died doing this. Sort well, of I'd stuff. hope they would have had it at least had had a discussion. All right, so uh, that's a thumbs down from you for what's the name of the show? It's not the show. It's forcing poor Robert to follow in his father's very unusual footsteps. But isn't this on a TV show? Yeah, it's talking? called Crikey. It's the okay. Irwins. And what what when's it on? If people want to make their own mind, oh, up. it's on Foxtel on on. Run after run after run. It's the cast is great. By what the station way. is it on the uh, wildlife station? Gorilla baboon and yeah, that sort of station. Uh, the, the the cast is fantastic. The cast is Terry Irwin, yeah, Bindi Irwin, yeah. Robert Irwin, yeah. and Steve Irwin. In brackets, archive footage. Okay, well, that's <laughs> still be worthwhile. Um, all right, okay, interesting start from you. Uh, I'm I'm going positive first up, so. Um, I've got a, a sad history of coming late to very popular and good TV shows, and I've done this a number of times over the years. I did it with South Park. You know how much I love South Park, but I was a couple of years late getting onto that. One of the great um, – are you on your phone again? Because I really want you to actually listen I'm listening. To I'm, I'm listening totally. I, I don't I was, believe you can multitask. I was going to say get the fudge out of here. Okay. Get the fudge out of here. Um Another show, fantastic series, uh, sort of part comedy, part drama, uh, which I got onto about ten years late was Six Feet Under. Fantastic show that. That was the about the Undertakers. Was was the Australian? Yeah, uh, Rachel Griffiths. Yep, okay. yep. Uh, very memorable scene as a masseuse, uh, which people who've watched it will remember. Arrested Development. I knew of its existence, but I didn't really get into it until good show, good a few show. years ago. Yeah, very bent. Although, I've got to say, their comeback uh, seasons haven't been as successful, and they were about 10 years later. Do you like the name of the character played by Scott Bayo in Arrested Development? Oh, Bob, blah, blah. <laughs> Bob, blah, blah. I can't say it. Bob, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> and another one I got onto about 10 years late and finally embraced uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, you are late on the good ones. Yeah, yeah, I know. And uh, actually, another one, uh, probably top of the list. I think it's the best TV show I've ever watched, The Wire. Uh, I think The Wire was made in about even late 90s, It's actually. supposed to be a great show. That's one I have not got on Yeah, to. no, sensational show. Sensational yep. show set in um, uh, Baltimore and different sort of looks at policing in Baltimore. Fantastic show. Anyway, I, I appear to have done this again, finally, because the season's finished, so I'm starting to peruse Netflix a bit, and I've already watched a few interesting docos and, and things on Netflix, and um, it recommended something to me the other day, and I'd, I'd literally never heard of it, and um, I thought, I saw a very short trailer, and I thought, eh, okay, it might be alright, good for a laugh. 
So I threw it out there last night on Twitter. I said, I'm thinking of um, diving into Brooklyn Nine-Nine. What do people think? Worth it or not? And the reactions 24 hours later, they are still coming thick and fast. I think the current polling indicates about 500 in favour and about two thumbs down. People are saying, funniest comedy Who's ever. It? What's it about? Best comedy. Oh, I can't remember the cast now. I knew you were going to do this to me. Um, uh, well, Te- Terry one, Stack. Yeah, is it? No, well, I've forgotten his name now. Or do me a favour, Google the cast while I'm talking about I it. Will. Uh, anyway, it's it's about a cop station, and um, it's a it's straight up comedy. It's a bit like, sort of a bit like Scrubs, and a bit like Parks and Recreation. I like Parks and Recreation. Yeah, yeah. Get, <clears throat> ends up a bit crazy. Parks and Recreation. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd say the humour in this is a little more sharp than Parks and Recreation, which is I think is a good thing. Um, anyway, I've <clears throat> I've now watched five episodes and I've absolutely pissed myself so far. And the good news is they've just recommitted for an eighth season. And there's about twenty two episodes in each season, so I think I've just found my summer binging um, show. So uh, Andy Samberg's in it. He's the key. Um, uh, what's his name? Pilot, uh, Peretta or uh, he's the key lead character. Yeah, who else? Uh, Andy Brower, who's an African American, yeah, he's the chief chief uh, of the station. He was in a great little known series that got cut way too early. Men of a certain age, with he was in it with Ray Romano. Oh, okay, yep. Right, well, he plays he plays the very sort of by the book straight. Yep. Um, oh, he's gay. <laughs> I shouldn't have said straight because he's gay. Um, uh, who else? There's a couple of. Uh, there's a wacky female character, a tough Mel- Melissa Fumero. F- She's sort of the female lead. Chelsea um, Peretti. Ch- Chelsea Peretti is the sort of uh, cynical administrative assistant. Who's the other woman's name there? Stephanie Beatrice. Yeah, she plays. Uh, I think is it Rosa? Um, very tough. Detective Rosa. Tough as teak. Yeah. So uh, anyway, well, well worth a look if you're one of the uh, other two. Um, people on the face of the earth who haven't watched it. But once again, I get onto a TV show late, but uh, unfortunately uh, am still able to enjoy it. But it sounds like it comes from that stable, Parks and Recreation. Yeah. The community college. Community. Oh, community, yeah. Uh, I never, I didn't probably give that enough of a go. Some of these things, you, you know, you have to really watch a fair bit of them to identify the characters and stuff. But I found with this I was laughing anyway, you know, so it's a good... Good sign. Thoroughly okay. recommended. All right, you're next. Okay, this um, it's hard to ex- explain this without giving away what my movie of 1978 is. So I'll be fairly brief on this one, and maybe come back to it. But this retrospective political correctness is it really gets on my goat. Okay, Sam. No, look, I'm not talking. I'm not talking about looking back in time and forgiving people for sexual misconduct and for. Lewd and lurid behaviour. I'm not talking about criminal acts of criminality. I'm talking about, especially in modern in pop culture and things like music, but especially in television and film, to look to go back to 1975, 78, 65, and damn a program and damn the actors in it and damn the concept because it now doesn't sit well with what we have become in terms of. Let's use the term woke. Well, let's talk some examples then. I mean, the ob- most obvious example would be, uh, for me, uh, Love Thy Neighbour. Oh, okay, that was always 
that was never, it wasn't funny at the time. It never that, that played on racism and stereo. It, it, I don't think that that didn't stand the test of time then. Particularly, people knew what they were laughing at, but they could get away. You know, they got away with it. Okay, big deal. I, I'd say more more programs like say Hill Street Blues, mm. a really good gritty cop program that broke the mold of it. it but break the mould of, of sort of fake sets. It, it was a very real program and, and award-winning. Yeah. And now people look back at that and say that the portrayal of um, African-Americans in that as the predominantly criminal group and uh, is stereotypical and even the black actors playing the policemen fit us, you know, would cast in a certain stereotypical way. I call I don't. I think that's unfair. I think it was real real for the times if we can look at that now and be a little more um and, and forgiving and, yeah but also look at it now and say all right this is how far we've come if you think that's a good thing that's fine i don't know whether it is or it isn't but i'll say this that it's not fair to look back with a current perspective and damn a lot of work that was done previously as racist stereotypical trite or whatever with with the advantage of hindsight. No, I, I understand that point. All, all I'd say to that, though, is inevitably, though, the benefit of hindsight has to compromise your enjoyment of, of that program. Well, it would for me. It doesn't for me. Well, it, it doesn't because okay. that, that was the time. I'll give you a challenge. Get I don't know. I can't remember who posted this, but there's a comedian who has been posting clips from Hey Hey It's Saturday. And I saw a couple a couple of weeks ago, and I just I couldn't believe what I was watching. It was like, did, did people really watch that? I was never a big fan of Hey It's Saturday anyway, to be honest. But you know, it was the whole Kamal thing, and yep. um, oh, um, who did they have on? They had on the actress, oh, Toddy Goldsmith was on, and Daryl was just about, you know, oh, he was pushing the envelope there. Um, if it made sense then, then it made sense. I, I'm sorry, I, I can't, I can't look back. I, I can't watch it now and not feel that those were different times. But if you feel, if you as a, I'm not having a go at you, but I'm saying if, if as a person you feel more enlightened now, how can you still enjoy something that is so obviously at odds with your values? Well, as I said, there is a line that is crossed, and even at the time I knew it was being crossed. Mm. But it's a more subtle. It's it's the more subtle intellectualised view of it. Hill Street Blues doesn't jump off the page at you as fitting that... No, I remember that as being a really good show. So Correct. Yeah, and, that's and, a good example. And I've and I've watched Hill Street Blues recently, and I still like it. Mm. I, I like it for what it tells us about the time, yeah. and I think it stands, stands that test of time, even though there might be some stereotypes played to that wouldn't be the case nowadays. I... You'll, when we do the movie, you'll understand why I feel so strongly about it. All right. Uh, okay, my next one. Uh, I'm also talking about a line that has been crossed, and it's my uh, tolerance levels for anything to do with Carl bloody Stefanovic. Oh, oh like, Stefanovic. For God. I was, I was worried there for a second. For God's sake. <laughs> Uh, what the hell I is... you going to say Ditterich. No, no. <laughs> what is going on here? I mean, it's... Now, you, can, you look at all the Carl news, and, you, and for those on Mars, yeah, Carl is coming back 
to the Today Show uh, after a shocking rating slump, and they've recast the host again, so now no longer Deb Knight and Georgie Gardner. It will be Carl Ste- Stefanovic and Alison Langdon, if that means anything to you. Um, now, there's been a lot in the age, and these days you look at the age and think, well, it's owned by Channel 9, you sort of half expect that. But the age was running reams and reams of this stuff even before Channel 9 took it over, much to my annoyance when I was still there. The Herald Sun jumps on board inevitably because they're worried about, oh, you know, they might, must be getting good traffic out of this. We better start running this stuff as well. The weird thing about it is, Finey, you're not talking about a majorly popular TV show. Now, the Today Show in October was averaging ratings of just... 174,000 around Australia. Now, just to give you an idea, a basis of comparison, the top-rating show on TV last Friday was the news on Channel 7, 791,000 people. Even that's small compared to figures TV was getting 10 years ago. But even the 20th highest-ranked TV show last Friday drew 275,000 viewers, Today's been getting 174,000 viewers. Now, it's important to the networks understand this, peak advertising dollars and, uh, you know, lead into the day people have the uh, TV on that and they leave it on that, blah, blah, blah. But in terms of the country, it's it's watched by a fraction of the country, cared about by even less, and yet the media is just eating itself to run... Just page after page, column after column. There have been that many opinion columns about can today revive its fortunes with Carl's comeback? Is the public ready to forgive Carl? I've got nothing to forgive him for. I didn't give a stuff enough to be mad at him for whatever he did first time around. And I dare say 90% of Australians feel the same way. It's just this tidal wave of publicity about TV breakfast shows is totally out of keeping with the level of interest in them. I'm going to upset you at the from the get-go in as much I like Carl Stefanovic. I haven't seen him much. I You made a face then. I like him. Well, I, I find him off-the-cuff impromptu. I don't you know, actively dislike I, him. I find him a he's bit... He's a blamange. Uh, no, he's not. He's a bit irreverent. He's, he's oh. a bit... No, he's all right. He's all right. He's He's got something. He's better than the cardboard cutter. I prefer him to Kochi. I really do. I, I think he's got more... To give, but I don't like breakfast TV. I don't watch it. If I'm up early in the morning, is it Kochi or Koshi? Oh, it's cocky. Okay. It's I thought it's pronounced cock. Yeah, no. I, I always I always thought he was a cock. But if it's a kosh or a koch, I could be wrong. Well, funny you mention that because we'll be revisiting both of those people a bit later on. So I don't like breakfast. If I'm up early in the morning, it is to corral four children onto a public transport for school or into a car to go to work. I'm not watching breakfast TV, and when I have turned it on, all it seems to be is on a cycle, the news, sport from New South Wales, from sport out of Sydney, where Mark Lecrae was called Mark Lecrae, that sort of sport, mm. They die, ringing somebody up who's not home to give away $50,000, mm. they're never home, mm. they probably check first. The weather done by some boy actor who's now 55. Wacky weather, man. Yeah. yeah. Where are you now? I'm in northern New South Wales and the blah, 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 blah. Big deal, mate. And some infomercials. It seems to be this... They, they never get to anything. No, well, they're the sort of shows... Coming up... 
they're but the, they, do, do they ever get to it? They're the sort of shows that people just have on in the background as they're getting ready for work and stuff. They never, they're always sitting there, but never actually discussing anything of substance. And then when they, you know, here we go, is it yeah, sunrise? You know, their attempt at substance in terms of politics. Have a look. Uh, this might be a bit close to home, but have a look at some of the discussion panels they get up on sunrise to discuss politics. Where you'll see that, you know, Pauline Hanson, they single handedly resurrected her as a public figure. Oh. Prue McSween, who's just, she's just like a complete caricature of a North Shore matron, apart from being a, a, a absolutely revolting. And then other sort of, you know, um, cash for comment motor mouths uh, in certain parts of the media qualified for nothing and expert on even less. I mean, they're, they're garbage. And I just think, you know, it's... You don't like it, do you? No, and it doesn't reflect well on the newspapers, particularly, that they spend that much of their time and energy reporting on this crap. Anyway. I'm just worried about that phone call they make. Today, $73,000. Is she home? I reckon they, I reckon every call is to a phone box in Tennant Creek. <laughs> well, if they're, <laughs> not a ho- if they're not home, do they miss out, they miss yeah. out the money? Oh, right, okay. But I don't reckon the... I reckon it's just a... You know, they're ringing this phone box. Anyway, look, Carl Stefanovic, look, he might be the loveliest guy in the world, but enough. Seriously, enough. More, Carl, I say. All right. Okay, this is a bit of an interesting one. It's a sort of a mea culpa in a way. Last night, for the first time in my life, I watched in full the 1970 grand final. Is and that right? First time I've ever watched it in really? full. It was interesting. It wasn't the Mike what Williamson. What did you do that? It was on classics on Fox footy. Oh, okay. But it was the ABC commentary. Yes. Which is a bit bad because in the third quarter, it doesn't sync with the play. <laughs> oh, really? It's like a second and a half hour, which is very annoying. Yeah. Not quite as effusive about the Jezelenko mark. Yeah, they okay. say it's a, a great mark there by Jezelenko. He's a real showman. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and he's turned it on today. But I didn't realise that. That game's very different to how it's portrayed, I've got to say. In what way? Well, Collingwood up by 44 at half time. Yeah. They should have been up by 80. Yeah. They were 4-11. <laughs> yeah, yeah. First of all, they just kicked themselves out of it. Wayne yep. Richardson was brilliant, but he kept missing goals. Yep. Even McKenna missed two or three. So that's the first point. I didn't realise that 12 minutes into the third quarter, there were three points the difference. Yeah. Collingwood actually owned a lot of the second half. Yeah. Well, Carlton, they kicked seven, I'm pretty sure seven goals in 12 minutes. 12 minutes, minutes. they did. Which Hopkins in, kicked three in of that, them. In that time, was just incredible. Sid yeah. Jackson kicked a freak goal. Over the shoulder. Yeah. Uh, Walsey kicked one on the run. Beautiful kick. And Jezza kicked a, a dead straight one. Yeah. Now... From that point on, Collingwood were actually, yeah. they should have won. And again, they well, had so much of the play. Well, Collingwood uh, kicked the first goal of the last quarter too and got three goals up again. That they were, No, they were three goals up. They were like 17 points up at three-quarter time. Oh, then, yeah, so they got four goals up yeah. again. Yeah. Now, there was some, I, I've just got to say that Collingwood just threw that game away. Yeah. And the, the idea that Carlton were playing on it all, that's not true either. One guy kept handballing. It was stupid Kevin Hall at full back. <laughs> Every time he took a mark, he'd handball to somebody standing still generally, Gill or Gould. But this was I, – I, I only knew it as this great comeback. Yeah. There's more to it than that. Well, Collingwood a, lost that game twice. They lost it in the first half, and they had most of the second half. It's a bit like um, 
the famous Essendon North Melbourne comeback game when Essendon was sixty nine points down. They quickly got back into it. They, they? were at half time. I think it was only twenty two points yeah, that, of difference. Yeah, people. And second half was even. You need to watch these games. This mm. is not some. This is not grinding down the great lead. Incident- this lead was gone. Incidentally, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, good, good. Uh, it was gone. Good, I, good point. I was in shock. I, I didn't realise there were all these goals. I've got to say quickly, I should do this as a separate one next week, but um, I went down the, uh, there's a guy, uh, Jezza or Gezza, G-E-Z-Z-A 1967, I think, on YouTube, and he's just got reams and reams of old footy stuff. Yep. Like you, I've seen most of it, but they're, they're, you keep getting surprised. And um, I found a gem the other day, or two gems. There's like an instructional video. Um, but has large chunks of the 72 grand final in colour, right, Uh, with different camera angles and whatever. It's shot on film, so it's crystal clear. Uh, Tweeted a few stills from that, actually. And then um, there's one. It's about half an hour of highlights from the 73 grand final, the first I ever went to, also in colour. Oh, really? And the most incredible shot uh, from ground level of Neil Baum destroying Jeff Southby's career. In fact, I'm going to find that now and show you the shot. Why hasn't that been shown more? Well, because no one seems to, no one of any consequence seems to sort of put the same value on football history anymore. But uh, I I was so rapt to find this stuff and uh, I posted it and a lot of people seem to be watching it. Uh, It's just priceless, you know. Like when you you see um, an old replay in black and white and it looks old. And then you see it in colour, and it sort of, I don't know, it just sort of brings it to life. And, yeah, 70. I agree. It's, it's, well, 70, here we go. Yep. So there's a still of Barmy whacking Jeff Southby. Gee, look from at that. From behind yeah, Barmy. Yeah, that's brilliant. And uh, a couple of other stills I've got, too. I've got one of the um, the banners, the Carlton banners going around the uh, deck of the Western Stand in the 72 grand final. How about is, the Richmond banner? I yeah, remember it. Uh, Terrific, tenacious. It was all with T. Terrific, tenacious, tireless, tremendous Tigers. And they, Well, they had another they one. They put Tetley in it eventually. They had another one with uh, Ruthless Richmond on it too, yep. I remember. And then um, they had the famous Wayne Shand one. So there's the... there's the. Yep. Uh, oh, these are gems. It's like I, I can't... I, any St Kilda supporter has to see... Have you seen the documentary about the 66 yes, grand final? Yes, the BBC thing. It's yeah, brilliant. Panorama, yeah. Because it also shows St Kilda coming into the rooms after they've won. Yeah. And they don't sing I Win the Saints. No. They sing this victory song that's very English. Yeah. Um, and there's Champagne. Champagne, and- yeah. Daryl Baldock. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's I, I can't get enough of stuff like that. Um, all right, good one. Now, last one for me before we wrap it up. And uh, another positive. I've gone two out of three positives today. Uh, and it's uh, plaudits. To, you know how we all complain about uh, you need to ring Telstra or someone and you ring the help number and you get someone in the Philippines who you can barely understand and then they just make you say your name and account number about 58 times and then they inevitably never help you. Well, well hang on, that sounds politically incorrect to me. Um, I'm going to look, I'm going to listen back to this podcast no, and well, think, we, weren't we terrible? You have difficulty understanding them. I mean, that's just... Not me, I speak... I speak. Tagalog? Is that their language? Uh, Tagalog, yes. Tagalog, uh, Tagalog. yeah, it's got... Uh, what it's Tagalog. Name. All right, anyway, 
Um, Put up plug and tell. So, uh, I any, made that up. In a nutshell, I'm a little bit strapped for cash at the moment, to be honest. Anyway, I got a, a series of huge bills during the week, one of which was some Yarra Valley water for over $1,000. And I just went, what? You know, and I said, we Is seem, that for the year? No, it's a quarter. And we seem to have had a few of these enormous bills lately. So I went through, I finally did a bit of homework and went through all the bills we've paid in our nine years we've lived at the same address. And up until about a year ago, they were all about 350 to 400. And then all of a sudden there was this you know, explosion to over a thousand. Then it came back for a couple. And then this most recent one was over a thousand. Now that made sense because we had a water leak at the back of our um, house, which we had fixed, but it was going on for a couple of weeks. Anyway, I, I sort of did enough homework here to think something. Why have we had about six bills over a thousand bucks? So I rang him, and I got a very helpful uh, young woman on the line who spoke, was very patient, and listened to everything I had to say, and said, "Okay, um, look, I'm going to put you through to our high bill team." And I thought, "Oh, here we go. Now I get to the Philippines." And uh, no, I got another uh, local person, young woman, very helpful. And she told me they have a way of reviewing this stuff. I think they base it on two consecutive bills. So I went out and checked the meter and gave her a current reading. And she said, well, that shows that you're not using much at all. So that obviously you've successfully fixed the leak. Um, Anyway, cut a long story short, in the end, they basically wiped out that whole bill. The whole bill? Yep. In fact, that's, I got a credit. Hey, well done. The bill was for a thousand and twenty-nine, uh, and they ended up saying they owed. Well, the uh, next I would get a new bill, and it would have a fourteen-dollar credit on it. So well, does um, that mean you gave them water? <laughs> yeah. Well, the bottom line is I'm not up for a thousand bucks that I haven't got. Uh, don't worry though, I'm still in debt. But. Um, it was just I couldn't believe it. I had a pleasant experience with a basic service provider, and it just goes uh, goes against everything you hear about dealing with these um, authorities now. But uh, it was a, a I was very pleasantly surprised. And uh, Mel, I think the lady's name was. So big thanks to Mel at Yarra Valley Water. Can I add and, to that? Uh, really happy with the service. My wife is very good at phoning up, following up bills, etc. Yeah, I bet you. I'm tipping you're probably not. Never have well to back that up. Last Sunday night, I got pulled up by the police. I've got the shock of my life. Divvy van drove past me, did a U turn, lights on. Uh oh, hadn't paid my car rego. Oh, that's not good for me. Few days over, he was very reasonable about it, but I let it slip. I, I felt because we've just moved house. I th- I think it sort of got. Lost in so do you let you go or not? No. So how much is the fine? I don't eight hundred dollars or something. Jesus. Okay. Yeah, that's not good. But my wife is very good at following up bills, and you'd be amazed if you ring up about a bill and query it, and not necessarily query it, but say you know, are there terms for if I pay it now? You can get discounts on a lot of bills. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just the time and energy it takes. All right, that that is uh, life hacks for this week. Interesting assortment of gripes, grumbles, and the odd uh, pat on the back there. Time now, Finey, to reminisce. That's, about, all, that's all we do, mate. About <laughs> things that we loved from the past. Vinyl and video. 
pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies and TV. Okay, uh, good reaction to this segment last week. Finally, of course, we went back to uh, 1993 and picked a favourite bit of music uh, and a movie and a TV show out of 1993. Same applies this week. I allowed you to pick the year, and the year was... 1978. Any particular reason? Well, I thought you and I could be... Have conflict because it was the year of the animals match at Marabba. Oh, yes, yes. Colin Stubbs getting up after that infamous game. <laughs> he <killed> my son. <laughs> well, I knocked out Terry Kale and Merv Nagel. I watched that game in replay as well some time ago. It was not a violent game at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it was portrayed as such. I was there. I was there that day. Um, but it was a big year, 78, for me. It was the year that Robert Muir may or may not have hit Dennis Collins. Oh, yes, in the last game. But it yep. was the year of. The year I had my bar mitzvah. Yeah. And it was the day when I did something very bad and it was a disaster, not spoken about for many years in my family. Okay. Do you want to, very, do you want to hear it? Can you do it quickly? Very quickly. You okay. See, the bar mitzvah is when a Jewish boy turns 13 and you go to the synagogue and you read from the the Torah. Okay, I did that. I learned it and it was just a little bit. And you, your friends and family go. There's a big party the next day or something for my for you know like a get together, but straight after the um, in the synagogue, you have a, a, a luncheon put on by the synagogue called a kiddush, and there everybody in the congregation is invited. So there's my family, all my relatives, my parents' friends, and a few of my friends are all gathered in a hall next to the synagogue for uh, some schnapps, some whiskey and some, you know, it's just snack food and, and then a presentation to be made by the rabbi who was the venerable rabbi Ronald Lebowski. And when it came time to the presentation, he stood up and he started speaking, apparently. Mark, it's wonderful. The problem was I was on a tram to Princess Park because <laughs> I had an unbeaten run of, oh, I don't know, four years. I'd never missed a game of footy and I wasn't going to miss it for my bar mitzvah. I went in my velour suit. Actually, had a kick of the footy afterwards, and I remember it was the ground was wet because the velour all puffed up near the. Went home with Ash Brown. He came with me. He knew that there was going to be trouble, and I knew I'd done the wrong thing. And I hid out at his place, and his mum eventually said, "Look, you've got to go home." Went home, which was walking distance from Ash's place. Walked in the house. It was really eerie. There was no lights on in the house, just one light in the kitchen, and my mother and father sitting there. I walked in, and I was about to say something, and my father said, you are never, ever, ever to bring this up again. What you've done to your mother is unforgivable. I don't want it mentioned ever, ever again. Don't get out of our sight. I brought it up on radio about six years ago, and my father was still with About seven years ago, my father was still alive. He rang me. The day after, somehow it got back to him. And he said, you were told never to mention that. <laughs> oh, funny. Can't skip a big family occasion. Especially when you're the, the bar mitzvah boy. <laughs> yeah. No appearance. All right. The bar mitzvah boy. Okay, no, interesting, interesting divergence there. But 1978 is the year. 
And uh, now we've got some conflict here. We'll sort it out afterwards. I think that when it comes to music, you should have to pick an album. It's too easy just to pick one song. But you you were an album person. I was I was a not mix, true. I, I was a mixed cassette man. Not true. Uh, well, I am an album person, but '78 was a big year for singles. And if we were allowed to do singles, and I don't think we should be. There's two that I went flipped out on from 78. I know you haven't got them, so I'll say them quickly. Yep. Surrender by Cheap Trick. Yeah. One, still one of my favourite yep. songs. And I Need a Lover by Johnny Cougar. I need a lover yeah. that won't drive. And I loved both those songs, and I bought them as singles. However, I decided to go for an album. Um, and I might as well mention it while I'm on a roll. So uh, a very honourable mention to uh, some others that I thought of. Uh, Hemispheres by Rush. Not many people know it. Uh, concept album. Very long. One, so- one track goes for 20-odd minutes. Uh, but a great album if you're into them. Um, the Cars, self-titled album. Um, that was their sort of... Uh, had let the good times roll on it. Devo, Are We Not Men. I've been playing that a lot lately. I loved, I loved Devo. I, I, I was... Look, that album, that was their first. Yeah. Not- it didn't catch me, but Freedom of Choice was... Well... Not, not because of Whip It, but yeah. I, loved, I loved Freedom of Choice. Well, that was the album I got into, but there's an album in between, which I only got into recently, called um, Duty Now for the Future, which is fantastic. I'm really loving it. It's got um, Secret Agent Man, Pink Pussycat... Um, uh, what else? What else? What else? Uh, Wiggly World. Yeah, I don't know it. Um, no, have a listen to it. But are we best Devo track is the first track of Are We Not Men, Uncontrollable Urge. Fantastic song. Anyway, that's not my number one. My number one... Satisfaction's on that album, isn't it? It is, on that Are We Not Men, yep. Yep. Um, This one in a landslide, really, because this is one of my favourite albums ever. Uh, It is Power Rage by ACDC. And uh, in my view, tied with Highway to Hell as Akadaka's best ever album, Um, The track listing is as follows. Rock and Roll Damnation, fantastic song. Down Payment Blues, fantastic song. Give Me a Bullet, fantastic song. Riff Raff, absolute Akadaka classic. Yeah, great. Sin City, another great track. Probably tails off a bit towards the end. What's Next to the Moon, Gone Shooting, Up to My Neck in You, and Kicked in the Teeth. But those first six or you seven made up those tracks, last no, no, that, that is definitely on it. Uh, what an absolute stunning album that was! And uh, again, I got into that one later in life, but a ripping album. Okay, you're forcing me into an album. Good. I don't want to be forced. First of all, I really liked. I, I would later come to really like Dust Model by Kraftwerk. Okay. After their difficult to enjoy Autobahn, which was their first release. I got Autobahn. Yeah, that was a few years earlier. but Autobahn takes up one whole side. Fran, fran, fran. On Autobahn. But Dust Model, great cover version by Ramstein, if you ever are close to a loud playing musical music player. Okay. That was great. There was a lot of disco. And the year, was, the year was dogged down, held back by Grease, the soundtrack. Yes. A lot of Bee Gees. So you're not going there for movies, I take it? Grease, no. no. I'm going to go for Elvis Costello, Pump It Up. You're going to make me take the whole album. And the album is this year's model. 
Yeah, th- this year's model. Radio Radio's on it. Yeah, it is. Which is a great track. Don't remember that, to be honest. But Pump It Up is... Oh, Pump It Up's a great song. It still stands. Yep. Covered by a lot of bands, too. Yep. I actually heard Boom Crash Opera cover that at a gig once. Uh, Pump It Up, great track. Great track. And also, just a special mem- mention to Public Image Limited. Oh, yes. Their debut is on that. Yeah. And Public Image uh, is a great song, isn't it? That yeah. was their first single, wasn't it? Um, I got into them a bit later on, too. What is it with me and getting into stuff like... Uh, all right, yeah, Elvis Costello, this year's model for you, and Power Age ACDC for me. All right, movies. Now, I've got to say, I found, in terms of movies I really liked... Uh, bit thin on the ground for me, 1978. But oh, that's uh, surprising. Well, we mentioned Greece. Obviously, Greece was huge. But um, can I make a stunning confession here? I've never seen it. I've, I've I've seen it. I reckon I've seen it and not watched it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, another one, I, I love this guy's work or his early work. Um, and I don't recall this being one of his absolute best interiors by Woody Allen. Um, one which I think you're going to go with was on my short list, but I ended up going for, and it actually got critically panned. Um, I was reading some of the reviews and I got stuck into it. How's this for an all-star cast finding? Gregory Peck, Lawrence Olivia, James Mason, Denham Elliott. Do you know what's, what movie I'm talking about? Yeah, it's the old cloning of Hitler, isn't Correct. it? Correct. Boys from Brazil. And um, I think the complaint was that the plot was just too... Outlandish, but um, I thought it, it worked quite well. And if you're not familiar with it, um, a uh, Nazi hunter post when's it set? Sort of 60s, 70s, 70s. Um, stumbles onto a whole group of Nazis hiding out in uh, Paraguay, I think. Was it Paraguay? And um, gets onto a famous Nazi hunter to uh, try and interest him in the case, and he. Um, the bloke gets murdered, and so the uh, Nazi hunter sort of adopts the case, and uh, yes, all wonderful, uh, not wonderful, uh, weird sort of twists and turns, but um, basically there's been a series of 90-odd mini Hitlers created from Hitler's DNA, and they reside all over the world. And, and they're all AFL umpires. And <laughs> their fathers are getting bumped off at the time they were at 65 because they wanted to recreate Hitler's life. Um, but I thought it was an interesting movie, and I thought it was pretty good. So that's mine. And you didn't think there were good movies that year? There were some great movies. Well, well r- rattle off one a of my few. one of my favourite movies at the at sort of a couple of years later with my mates was Animal House. I haven't seen it. National Lampoon's Animal yeah, House with John Belushi, and yeah, it's 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 that sort of teen teenage humour. I hope, yeah, no, look, I should say it, but I hope it doesn't disappoint. You know, one movie... It will disappoint you because you're not an immature teen. Well, you know the movie that every AFL plays to say was a... Shawshank. <laughs> no, no, the the other one, uh, Comedy. Everyone couldn't believe it I'd seen it, and then I finally watched it, and I thought, this is pretty... What's that? Caddyshack. Oh, I love Caddyshack. I know it off by heart. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Wang. This place is restricted, so don't tell them you're Jewish. I'll have three of those, four of those, and give me a packet of those naked lady teas. What do you do when you get a hat like that? Get a bowl of soup with it? Looks good on you, of course. I, I just didn't find it that funny. No, well, we loved it. You know the makers of it, the, the guys that made it, the National Lampoon team, hated it. Oh, did they? Yeah, really hated what it. What year is that, by the way? It's, I think it's about 83 or 84. Yeah, early so. 80s. Anyway, what, give, us, give us some other decent 78 films. Midnight Express. Oh, was that 78? I thought yep. it was 77. 78. Okay, well, I haven't seen that either, to be honest. 
Good movie. Yeah, I, bet. I know. Who's the star of that again? Uh, uh, Brad Davis, little ah. lone actor. Okay. Played two games for Fitzroy. Remember the Ruckman, Brad Davis? Oh, vaguely. Um, but it's a true story about William Hayes. Billy Hayes. I played cricket with a Billy Hayes. William Hayes. Okay. And he was trying to smuggle hash out of Turkey. Turkey? Yeah. I'll never forget in the court case, you know, he couldn't understand what was going on. And to make a point, the prosecutor looked at him and said, tut, tut, tutaru. And I don't know what that means, but it certainly upset him. And okay. he didn't know, and he got sentenced to life in in the worst one of the worst prisons in the world, but he escaped. All right, so you have chosen. I've chosen, I think, one of the great movies of all time, The Deer Hunter. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was controversial, wasn't it? Yeah, it was very controversial because well, it was one of the first Vietnam yeah. movies. And I Vietnam think it came movies. out the same year as, uh, oh no, Apocalypse Now might have been later. A little yeah. bit later, but there were a couple of war movies that year. It was not a glorious interpretation of the Vietnam experience. In fact, it was the original screenplay, which was bought by the producers was about Russian roulette, which plays a key role in the movie, but set in Las Vegas. Mm. And they transposed it. It was rewritten. That's about the only scene I remember, to be perfectly honest, but I, I only saw it once. And it's it was got a very powerful... 30 uh, years ago. It, it really, it, it really um, takes you to the working class European immigrants, Poles and Russians in Pittsburgh. Who's in, in, it? Who's in it? Robert De Niro. Yep. Uh, it's a breakout performance by Meryl Streep. Now, oh, Mer- yeah. now, Meryl Streep was actually recommended for the role by Robert De Niro, who'd seen her act on Broadway. Yep. But she hadn't done much un- until then. Her her um, real-life partner, John Cavale, I think his name is. No, John Cazale. Cazale. Yeah, he's in, um, he's in Dog Day Afternoon with Al Pacino. Great actor. He died... He he had cancer when they were making that movie, Terminal Cancer. Oh, really? So they had to film his scenes first. He passed away before it was he ever saw it. He passed away just after they finished production. I'll tell you who else is in it. Uh, Christopher Walken. Well, Christopher Walken, who plays Nick, is seminal to the movie. I mean, he's obviously, he's the Russian roulette player. But John Savage. Yeah, and he's very good in it as well. Look, it, it's powerful. It's contra- it wasn't controversial. It's many many people, many critics have it in as a top ten movie, a highly influential movie. The director, you see, what happened? Two bad things happened for the movie. Michael Cimino. Michael Cimino was plucked from nowhere to direct the movie, and he did it brilliantly. The problem was his next movie was one of the worst flops in Hollywood history. What was that? Heaven's Gate. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a financial disaster that and have, a um, terrible movie. What's his name in it? Uh, Warren Beatty, I think. Was it Warren Beatty? Yeah, I okay. think so. But it was a disaster. Yeah. So much so that people went back and no, looked Richard at the, Gere. Oh, it. Richard Gere. Richard Gere? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not okay. sure. Maybe I'm confusing with Heaven Can Wait with Bob Denver and, John Bur- and, and George Burns. The Unfortunately, they went back and looked at The Deer Hunter and some people looked at Heaven's Gate and said that, that was a rambling rubbish as well. And then what I spoke about before, retrospective political correctness has affected the movie because people are looking at it now and saying, portraying the North Vietnamese as ruthless, vicious, um, unthinking 
sort of war criminals forcing people to play Russian roulette whilst the American was the idealised hero. I don't see it like that at all. I see a movie that brilliantly portrays the soldier leaving, the soldier experiencing, and the soldier coming home. And at the time, it was a very... Given what previously was a war movie, which was hero worship, this was a very brutal portrayal of war and and a serious movie as a for a young I saw it when I was about 14 mm. it was the first serious movie I thought I saw that made me think and the um the start of a whole there was a whole flood of vietnam movies wasn't there there was that there was well, apocalypse it, now it set the tone for things like hamburger hill full metal jacket uh platoon correct and born on the 4th of july yeah it it set, it set a a tone as i said of of honest portrayal, yeah. Even though there's not a lot, the, the problem with this movie is there's no record of Russian roulette ever being forced upon American prisoners. But that's not the point. It it, it was a warts and all look at the Amer- the returning American soldier. So it was a very good movie. All right, well, I might drag it, dust it off, and give it another go. I think there's some good music too. The theme music Cavatini is is has become famous. It's beautiful theme music. All right. Uh, okay, TV show from 1978, and uh, being a hard ass here, finally, this I think we should have a rule that the show has to start in the year we're yeah, talking about. I think that's about. fair enough. I think that's fair enough. Um, either, either maybe in the country of origin or Australia. I think that's fair. Yeah. All right. Well, that left a very thin field indeed. Uh, when I had a look at it, and so thin, in fact, the show I've come up with, I didn't even regularly watch. I did watch it on and off. And I thought it was passable. It was a spin-off. Of course, spin-offs were big in the 70s and 80s. A spin-off, finally, of one of the most successful um, sitcoms of all time, Happy Days. It was just a spin-off. There was one episode. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. Uh, so not as big a spin-off as Laverne and Shirley. Yeah, I'm saying that's sort of a genuine... That's more... Yeah. That's a... That's a Sort of a legs, it's a proper spin. Okay, uh, and I'm speaking, of course, if you haven't guessed, about Mork and Mindy. Robin Williams as Mork and Pam Dorber as Mindy. And uh, Mork is an alien who um, Mindy stumbles upon uh, as he's been sent to Earth to, uh, I think, is it study how Earthlings live or to, I think, to get out of the hair of his. Um, uh, what's his planet? Orc. His orc and um, superiors have had enough of him. And, of course, uh, uh, hilarity ensues as he is absorbed into uh, American 70s culture and uh, lasted uh, three or four years, I think. And um, Lasted four unusual years. Its first year, it was the third biggest show in America. Is that right? And then it just went down, down, yeah. down as they sought more difficult time slots and stupid Plot changes. Yeah, well, I got to say, like I say, I wasn't a huge fan. In fact, uh, we discussed this. I might as well drop this now. Saying we mentioned ACDC, if you're talking chronologically, uh, a line from Mork and Mindy is actually the very last thing that Bon Scott uttered on record. Finally, and it was Shuzbut Nanu Nanu right at the end of Night Prowl, of the last song of Highway to Hell. But there you go, Mork and Mindy. That was about the best I could do for '78. Your offering. Mine was a very unusual program. It was a Japanese television program shot in Inner Mongolia and northern China. 
about a Chinese legend and it was aired in Australia as a program called Monkey Magic. Ah, yes. Which really was just a theme song, Monkey Magic. The actual program was either called Monkey in English or its real name in Japanese was, and it sounds like Sukiyaki, but it's not. The real name of the program is Sayuki. Now, Monkey Magic was ridiculous. It was so unusual that it almost drew you in, and I did watch quite a few episodes. So when of it. it was on the ABC about what five p.m. Yeah, yeah, five, yeah, that's about right. Yeah. The plot is impossible to explain. It's about a, a monkey born on a mountaintop. He's seeking enlightenment by taking a Buddhist monk on a journey. Now, the Buddhist monk Tripitaka is, in fact, the role is played by a quite attractive woman. But it's not a woman, it's a young boy in the show. They are accompanied by... Yes, Grasshopper. They are accompanied by demon gods that take human form, Sandy, who's a horse, Pigsy, who's a pig, and various other incarnations or carnations or whatever you call them along the way. But Pigsy's interesting, played by two different actors and uh, famously would eat a lot. Well, Pigsy, I'll take my pig. The dubbing was poor but humorous. I'm just wondering why Horsey was such a horse. Sandy was, yeah, I don't know why Sandy was a horse. There was a sea serpent as well, but... Was it dubbed into English? Yeah, dubbed into English. That's always fun. Monkey used to summon a pink cloud by going... (laughs) With his his version of the twitching of the nose. All in all, it was very, very layered in ancient Chinese storytelling, which wasn't that accessible for a kid coming home from school. At five in the afternoon. Well, not when it was up against, you know, Get Smart or but Gilligan's it was, Island. But it was or... so unusual, it got a cult following, and I did watch <laughs> a bit of it. Yeah, all right. Well, it sounds like the sort of thing you would be attracted to, actually. Oh, pigs, really, I such a pig. <laughs> all right, well, there you have it, 1978. Uh, like I said, um, send in suggestions of years, if you like. And we did get, I'm sorry, I can't remember who sent it to me, but I did get a tweet during the week from someone saying we should look at 1976. Uh, great year for movie 76, so we won't preempt that. We may well do that in the next few weeks. But, yeah, if you've got a particularly good argument for why we should do one particular year, feel free to uh, email us at info at footyology.com.au or you can tweet me, Rowan underscore Connolly. You can tweet Finey too, but he never actually looks at his Twitter account, so don't. There's an episode I've just realised of Monkey Magnet, that would have, Monkey Magic, that would have been good. It was in Season 1, Episode 14. Yes. It was the cat, the saint, and the shape-changing fish. And something about the 2009 grand final? Yeah, I've got Jack Stephen, cat, the saint. <laughs> All right, uh, enough of vinyl and video. It's uh, time to rant, Finey. Let's do it. On Footyology, the rant of. Righto, Finey, no mucking around, straight into it. I know you work best off the top, ad lib, ad hoc and all that, so I'm going to count you in. Three, two, one, rant. We have got to stop trying to idiot-proof the world. If you need instructions to use shampoo, then you're a problem, not me or any normal person who knows how to use shampoo. They've got instructions on it. If you need instructions on your toothpaste as to how to use toothpaste, believe you me, the world is not a safe place for you. I am sick of idiot proofing. Let's be honest. If we lose a few kids along the way, stupid kids, thirsty kids who drink Drano, 
or dumb children who think the best way to find out what's inside a power socket is with a butter knife, is that a bad thing? Is that not the cull we really need? Idiot proofing is only doing one thing. It's putting more idiots into the gene pool. I mean, let's be honest. If just so happens that idiots do, we lose a few along the way, as I said, is it really a problem or is this a greater problem? That the person that your son or daughter may marry actually needs to be told that shampoo is to be applied with water to the hair on the scalp. I think that person's better off dead. Idiot proofing, not good for the future of this planet. What was the inspiration for that? I actually was in the shower and I looked and there were instructions on the shampoo. (laughs) Place a five... (laughs) Place a... Five, no, what was it? A two and a half centimetre diameter circle of shampoo in your hand. Rub it into the hair on your scalp. Oh, really? Well, some people put in too much. Oh, I was, I was, I was, I'm glad those instructions were there because for the previous 53 years, I, would, I was administering, administering, administering it directly into my anus. I mean, well, you, what, haven't, got, you haven't got much to work with now, so. But, but what, why would you need instructions <laughs> on shampoo? I don't know. All right, count me in. One, two, and three. I'm pissed off with the boxing industry, Finey, and it's seemingly never-ending attempts to debase itself. Now, I admit, I'm no boxing aficionado, but I do remember a time back when we were kids when the fight game was huge. Kids all over playgrounds hunched over transistor radios to hear the famous rumble in the jungle between Ali and Foreman or the thriller in Manila pitting Ali against Joe Frazier. Where did it all go wrong? Well, it wasn't long after that that they had Ali take on that Japanese wrestler in one of the biggest farces in sports history, and around the same time, promoter Don King's hair started impersonating that scene in Flying High where Lloyd Bridges picked the wrong day to give up sniffing glue. These days, the fight game is a dodgy business indeed, and nothing screams dodgier than a face-off between two washed-up former footballers. So this time, it was 42-year-old Barry Hall up against freshly retired 38-year-old NRL star Paul Gallon, two men hardly at the peak of their athletic prowess. And as you might have guessed, no one was satisfied. We had all the usual hype and faux aggro in the lead-up, and the cheapest seats at Margaret Court Arena were 50 bucks. And for that, you got just six two-minute rounds, yes, 12 minutes of tepid so-called action, all for a draw. These guys aren't really enemies. I mean, they're all over each other at the finish and offering to buy each other a beer. Boxing purists surely don't buy this sort of rubbish, Finey. Footy fans can see through it, and lovers of sports theatre have already got wrestling, so what's the appeal? I reckon if boxing is going to go the name-dropping route, they'd be better off forgetting about retired sports people and pursue combatants with genuine axes to grind from even more bloodthirsty fields of endeavour, like the media, for example. Now Carl Stefanovic's back on morning TV. Who wouldn't want to see he and Koshy duking it out in the ring in the battle of the crappy breakfast shows, hopefully knocking each other out in the process? Or how about Mark Robinson versus Damien Barrett? 
Robbo reckons Damo slopes with the lights on, but I suspect underneath Damien's Clark Kent persona hides a bit of a superman. And Robbo would want to throw his punches a bit quicker than he gets his sentences out on AFL 360. And here's the best idea, Andrew Bolt versus anyone with a shred of decency. It'd be a bit like Jimmy Sharman's boxes, except in this scenario, the public who gets to beat the crap out of a professional arsehole. Everybody wins. There you go, Finey. I've just solved boxing's problems and given the media better content than the crap it produces these days. Bad. Oh, come on. What's wrong with that? I've just realised. I mean, that was brilliant. That absolutely shat on my effort. My effort was poor. But, no, I think I'm going to have to write them. That was beautifully written. That was great. That really was good. Okay, thank you. No, I'm going to have to put more work into it than <laughs> what I did today. Um, fair enough. In fact, I've got another rant. Finally, pull your finger out. Okay, well, we can do that. Well, you can do that to yourself metaphorically during the week. Who would you fight if, if, if there was celebrity boxing and they let Who you, would I fight? And they let a man with a defibrillator and no fitness fight? Uh, someone I could beat. One one-minute <laughs> one, one round? Who would that be? I, don't, I have to think about it. It could be a, any list of contenders. Matthew Spider Lee. Why would I fight Spider? Because no you said you'd Spider. beat him. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I have to think about it. No, I have no enemies fighting, as you know. I'm I very... do. Who would you fight? Oh, I'd be queuing up. I'd have him around the block. <laughs> I think we'd have both, uh, both have no shortage of prospective opponents. We could be a tag team duo <laughs> in wrestling. <laughs> yeah, we'd be the bad guys, though, not the good guys. <laughs> the whinging. The whinging. <laughs> the whinging old farts. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> All right, uh, we've got to wrap it up there. Quick plug for the sponsors again. Oh, we're old farts. No, we're not. I'll tell you what. If I could have anything right now, you know what it would be? Oh, tipping an Andrew's hamburger? No, Nick Spartel's house. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. You get a, a multi-million dollar house. I'd go better. I'd have a Nick Spartel's house with an Andrew's hamburger branch in it. Would you, would you get into a spa bath naked and eat a burger for uh, Andrew's after your experience in Germany? Uh, <laughs> I'd be, yeah, if I could eat it, sort of leaning over the edge, yeah. <laughs> With your buttocks pointing to the other people yeah, in the spa. Everyone's got a bum. <laughs> All right, uh, thank you once again, Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Unlike your buns yes, in the spa. Beautifully toned. It's superb. Yes, um, and Nick Spartels and Harwick Bilko in various locations. Beautiful houses. All over Melbourne, and they are nicely firm and toned as well. I hope you enjoyed today. Uh, We'll be back again uh, same time next week with more mirth, merriment, and madcap antics. And we are going to finish off with a song from our year, Finey. And look, I will, uh, you deferred to me last week, as much as I'd love to play something off Power Age, we've had plenty of Akadaka before, I think you had a very good uh, song selection, although I do stress we're going for albums, Must be an album. but this was the highlight of This Year's Model by Elvis Costello, 1978, let's go out with a cracking tune, pump it up, we'll see you next week.